Good morning, afternoon, evening, whenever, wherever we find you at. Uh, you're listening to Doth Protest Too Much. Uh, this is Drew speaking, and I have Ben Crosby with me today for this latest episode. And uh, for those who listen, if you have not already, uh, please give us a rating, whether you listen to us through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever streaming service that allows you to give us a rating and some feedback or a review. We uh, would love to hear your thoughts uh, on our podcast. So today we have the Reverend Ben Crosby uh, joining us on the podcast. Uh, you may have read him on his Substack blog called Draw Near with Faith. Uh, ben Crosby is uh, an ordained priest out of the Episcopal Church, of course, in the U.S., but he serves currently in the Anglican Church of Canada at Christ Church Cathedral in Montreal. And um, he's written for uh, Living Church and Earth and Altar. Earth and Altar, Plow as well. Plow as well, right. And you are a PhD student at McGill uh, in church history or ecclesiastical history. And before we get into our main topic, what's the, um, what's the focus of your studies? That's right. So I am still in the middle of comprehensive exams uh, right now. So I've not had my my proposal uh, approved yet. But what I'm intending to write on is so broadly English Reformation. And I'm interested in looking at at John Jewell and Richard Hooker and how they construed the relationship between the Church of England and the Protestant churches on the continent, and the the Reformed and the Lutherans. And I, I think I'm going to be arguing that we have in, in England an attempt to sort of hold this, this kind of pan-Protestant, ironic Protestant project together um, after most Lutherans and Reformed on the continent have, have given it up. Right. Yeah, and you see that kind of towards the end of the 16th century going into the 17th. I mean, they start to lay down the lines. They start to draw the lines of what where we are and where we're not. And, and, and the Lutheran Reformed came to some, you know, seemingly in our time irreconcilable differences and so yes uh the, the you know the anglican project of the, the english reformation with the 39 articles i mean i would say i would argue is uh very much trying to see the good in all that was going on in the continent and synthesizing it i suppose i don't know um that worthy project so yeah i, I saw um, thank you i know i've met a couple people who've done graduate and doctoral work at mcgill and I, as I, I imagine that's a good place for that that area of focus so yeah no it, it really is i'm I'm working with uh with torrence kirby who's a richard hooker scholar that's um, right it's, torrence it's kirby's great. there yeah torrence yeah, kirby's right. uh he's maybe you can like uh uh, uh i don't know get get him on the show for us <laughs> <That'd be awesome. laughs> you know, torrence kirby um he might be down he, he might be down he we brought him up on the podcast before and and uh, i've always credited him and i don't know if this is totally accurate or not he's the one who really i mean um well he's a hooker scholar and i don't know how many people out there are hooker scholars but uh, I think, of the you know, the, the past generation, the past 20, 25 years, he's been the one that's really shown Hooker's uh, affinities with the Continental Reformation. And I think that's been a good thing because I think uh, Richard Hooker is, is often there's this false narrative about him. Uh, for instance, the three legged stool, which is kind of not really what um, does not really come from what Richard Hooker was doing. Um, so, you know, and I know that's probably the topic of a whole other 
you know, we don't need to take our But no, no, I think, I think <laughs> yeah. that's I think but, that's exactly right. And I mean definitely, yeah, I mean it's it's he's why I'm I'm studying here at McGill. Um awesome. chance to you know, work with him and then Yeah. Often it's the people uh you know we've read from who've influenced us that we you know that that's cool you have that opportunity it's awesome um so yeah we're we're bringing Ben on to Reverend Ben to uh talk about uh, well he on his blog he an article he wrote about a month ago um which uh if it's already right, Ben I, I'm probably just gonna like I don't usually don't do this with episodes but I, this one I might just kind of not like read through the whole article but like give some excerpts you know read some excerpts and highlights from what i thought were like highlights from it and then just like have you elaborate on it break it down further um that sounds great yeah and just for our listener i think i mentioned it a moment ago uh he writes a blog called draw near with faith which he he you know writes kind of a, on, on a variety of topics on there but he wrote this uh this blog entry on july 6 uh what the reformation teaches us about pastoral nature and doctrine and um pastoral nature of doctrine sorry and the the subtitle is how thinking about protestant accounts justification help us overcome a mistaken modern divide between being between theology and being pastoral this article resonated a lot with me um when i saw it I, uh, well, I'll just read the first, uh, in the beginning of it, you quoted uh, a Sewanee professor named Robert McSwain. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, he says, quote, despite our frequent boast about not having to check your brain at the door, there is in fact a strong current of overt anti-intellectualism in the Episcopal Church which often manifests itself as a prejudice against theology or doctrine as such, unquote. And when I read that, I remember seeing, I mean, I remember, I feel like it's not so much now, but 10, 15 years ago, me as kind of a older teenager, younger adult, when I started to really get involved with the Episcopal Church, I heard that saying a lot. We're the Episcopal mm-hmm. Church. We don't make you check your brain in at the door, you know, bring your questions um, you know, we're, we're not going to tell you what to believe type thing. And, right. um, you know, they're not, and, and at first that sounds appealing. Cause like me, I'm, I like to inquire. I like to question mm-hmm. things. Uh, there's a little bit of a skeptic in me. I, I, I like to challenge things. I love that invitation of not having to check your brain at the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, was the Episcopal church, the only church that, I know this is, we're going to get into kind of the broader main line. I'd like to get into kind of like broadly that a lot of mainline Protestant denominations and I'll define a little that a little bit like to kind of or or have any have you seen that in any other mainline Protestant settings that absolutely that, okay okay yeah, yeah no, I think it's I think it's pretty much everywhere I mean the yeah I mean I, I was in the ELCA for a while we'd certainly hear it there mm-hmm. you know in among the Congregationalists Presbyterians yeah I think it's 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 everywhere yeah and it's it's kind of like um as I read it, and w- when it appealed to me as a younger person, I'm you know, in my 30s now, but as a, as a, as a, as a <laughs> even more younger person, mm-hmm. I saw it as like, well, you know, we got these fundamentalists over there, and you got these, you know, super conservative Christians over there that, you know, they, they just tell you what to believe, and that's it. And um, so the Episcopal Church values like, you know, uh, intellectual inquiry. But the irony here is that, um, as you say, um, 
for all that Episcopalians, and for that matter, mainliners broadly, like to boast about their intellectualism in contrast to conservative Christians, we are often decidedly uninterested in serious thinking about matters of faith. In practice, doc in practice, doctrine or theology are frequently pitted against lived experience and being pastoral, as just as they were in this communion dispute, uh, which, well, that that's the context of what um, we can get into. But but basically, that you know, where doctrine or theology are pitted against lived experience and being pastoral. I started to come across this uh, in seminary. Um, I felt that I like part of the reason why I, when I entered seminary, I entered the MDiv program. I was very interested in like for the first time in my life, because I didn't do it in undergrad, like formally studying theology. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's behind the scenes of everything we do in church. I don't, I don't see how we come together and worship and say the things we say in, in the church service and pray the things we, we do um, without appreciating just the, the story behind it, the story of the church, why we say the things we say, why we do the things we do that just enriches the appreciation of why we're Christians. Right. And so I was very mm -hmm. drawn to, to, to church history and church theology. And yep. I felt that, that, that enthusiasm for that was not shared even with, with a lot of peers um, and, and even some faculty, like it was just like, and I, again, I was came from mainline setting uh, mm -hmm. educational. Mm -hmm. and, and it was almost like, well, you know, all that theology stuff. Uh, well, I'll quote, I'll quote, a, uh, there was a, there was a comment because uh, you write it on the blog and people are, are, and if if I'll put a show note to this blog entry so people can read what, what people comment. Someone wrote for your blog that they commended you say, excellent as usual. I think there is often a projection involved. Many ministers are not interested in doctrine themselves and say that people in the pews don't care. Uh, or my favorite, I was never asked about X, Y, Z. I found this to be exactly the opposite. Lay people do care. They are happy to prod and push because they know we only touch the surface. I have found that myself. I, have you found that too in your in your? Because you're all you're not just a, a scholar studying, mm -hmm. doing a PhD. You are serving in a parish, and mm -hmm. so you're doing things in the parish. Uh, have you found that too with the laity? That the laity actually are interested in theology. I have absolutely found that to be true. Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I think that 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 comment really says it exactly right. That for whatever set of reasons, um, a lot of us clergy have have convinced ourselves that uh, that the lady don't don't want that. I mean, I, I remember being being told by priest mentors. I imagine you have similar stories. Oh, you know, theology is fine for seminary, but then as soon as you're in the parish, you know that that all goes out the window. You don't need that. Nobody cares about it. Um, but no, you know, I think in my in my preaching or sort of in conversations that I've had after my sermons or I, I did at the uh, Christchurch Cathedral where I serve uh, a couple of years ago, I did in um, one Advent and then in Lent, um, these the sort of Christian education um, groups on the the apostles and the Nicene Creed. And I, I had a couple of people you know, quite well attended and I had people say to me, you know, this is so great. I've not really had a chance to, to think about this thing that I'm saying in church every week since I got confirmed, you know, in the 60s or, or, right. or 70s, as, as the case may be. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there are certainly... <laughs> 
ways to talk about theology in the parish that are sure, that are unhelpful sure. and turn people off. But I think I think that you know people that are showing up to our churches are showing up because they actually think this stuff matters. Right. You know? Well, and and I like how you say there's ways to talk about it. Like you know, for instance, I I find space space in the planets um, very fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. However, like. Uh, someone who's doing their doctorate or has a doctorate in astrophysics, if they were, if if I were to like, you know, follow this interest and then uh, I would go to some, you know, class or something in this or or some meeting where I could learn, where I could uh, engage more with my interest in space and the planets. And this astrophysicist just started basically going through some journal article he wrote mm-hmm. or has reviewed with all the jargon that only someone, you know, I mean, obviously there's a way to talk about it and a way not to talk about theology too. That's right. Um, That's right. You know, I mean, I, I, there, there's, there is a highly academic form of articulating theology that you do find in higher education and like in journals and stuff. And so, yeah, a lot of the laity, have not studied theology at the masters and PhD levels and whatever, but, Mm -hmm. but they're still like, they still want to know the reasons and the story, like I said, behind the church and why this matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, this isn't, um, this isn't merely like just a, you know, Kiwanis or Rotary club or something like that. That's uh, right. I love Rotary Club, by the way. I, I'm I'm joining our local Rotary Club, and I went to our meetings today. Great, but I mean, this oh, nice. church church has beliefs, <laughs> and so <laughs> um that that feed into mm-hmm. what we do, mm-hmm. and so I I um so very I'm, I think this stuff matters for sure. Um, in in uh, yeah, prayers, I, for instance, we did a I did a couple. I've similar. I had a similar experience with you. I've done a couple Christian Ed series that, um you know, we're good. We, you know, we did. And right now we're, we're on Wednesday mornings, we have a men's Bible study and mm-hmm. um, you know, they were, it was kind of something that they were uh, it's been going, it's been ongoing for, for decades, this, this men's Bible. Wow. Study. Oh, that's and amazing. I, and I came in and, and I guess um, they, the, they haven't really had a priest in there for a while. Um, but I, you know, they, they wanted me to start coming because they were like, you know, we, we just finished this book. It was uh, it was, they, they read acts for you by N.T. Wright. And mm-hmm. um, they're like, we, we want to know like your, like, like we're, we're kind of like, we want some direction on where to go from here. You know, we're kind of working through the new Testament, but we want some direction, you know? And uh, I met with a couple of members and we, we just, you know, I decided, I recommended um, John Barclay's uh, Paul and the power of grace, which was his abridged version from Ooh, right on. Yeah. His yep, more, much Paul more scholarly gift. work, Paul and the gift. And um, cause I had bought the ebook and I've read, parts of it and didn't read through the whole thing and then like as we got into it uh we ordered some copies and and we were meeting on wednesday mornings and we were you know and um and and i started to question like okay um uh i was kind of back and forth on whether i should have went with that book because because he does have some verbiage and, and like just just stuff that unless you're like accustomed to just reading the stuff all the time and reading works of theology or biblical studies. Right. Um, even though right, he, right. he kind of pared this book down. And he, I, I think the intention of that abridged version was for like parishes to read. It was mm-hmm. still, still kind of a higher level. And so there, you know, mm-hmm. as we read through it, some people were like, okay, I'm, we need to slow down here. And right. But all to say, we, 
we took that, you know, a couple of the members were like, well, this is good. We're like challenging ourselves a little bit to go. Mm -hmm. This is a deeper dive than we're perhaps used to, but Mm. it has been so rewarding. We're about two months Mm. in and it has been enriching. It has opened up, you know, these are each chapters, 12 pages. We read six Mm -hmm. pages at a time and it's opened up for so much conversation. I mean, it's given me opportunity to also like, um, okay, let's kind of, break down what he kind of said here but it's been such a wonderful uh experience and and, um there i mean it's and it's engaged it's not just you know heady or intellectual it's really people opened up about their 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 spiritual experiences in their lives it's just Mm. it's just wonderful and rewarding that's beautiful no no, i mean i think you know one of the things that i i think about a lot you know with with all of this right is we're we are charged over and over again in scripture to, to love God with, with all parts of us to offer all parts of ourselves to, to him. And that, and that includes our minds. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think some of us are going to sort of gravitate to, to different ways of loving God rather than, than others. But like, yeah, I mean, I think this isn't at its best. This isn't like merely intellectual as opposed to worship or devotion like this is actually a way of like worshiping and giving thanks to god right it involves it it involves all our all our being you know yeah no that's that's right um and i think you know i mean something that that makes me sad is i think that often there is a temptation for clergy in particular to sort of use their learning as 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 a power play to sort of set up this the stuff the names they can drop the things they know as a way to sort of rack it off that, that they are the ones that get to to talk about god and get to love god with their minds or whatever sort of uh you know rather than the congregation um as opposed to what it sounds like you're doing here is like really you know inviting people in to like no right. like you can we can talk about this stuff together like this isn't just for seminary this isn't just for priests right um let's get into it right uh same thing if i were to go to you know a a group that meets with an astrophysicist that has honest questions about like why you know is is the world good you know what is our world on a timeline is it you know according to what your understanding is the sun gonna blow up is it you know and they might have to pull some data they might have to pull some like you know understanding that them and their academic peers just know all too well it's just like mm-hmm. but it, it's that there's there's ways for them to share that with us um there's I mean, right. the, the, there's not really that barrier um so much um and i mean for a denomination that at least once said we don't check our brains in at the door well let's not really <laughs> check our brains in at the door and actually use our brains that That's reminded right. me there's a uh, you probably seen it there's a facebook group I'll put them on blast. I don't care. Episcopal church memes, which um, <laughs> occasionally uh, will, will put things up that don't really represent what all Episcopalians may, you know, believe. Yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> well, they, right. they, they had this one thing right. I saw recently because it said, uh, we would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned the episcopal church and it was like this there's a whole bunch of question marks in the background with an episcopal shield and for me well part of that i can you know i get like you know Mm -hmm. i don't want you know a setting where nothing can be questioned where when we're no of course not when we're like forbidden from like asking questions or like you know uh prodding and, and like wanting to 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 break something down but like would 
the the first part would we rather have questions that can't be answered than it's like i want to i mean some questions do need to be answered right and isn't that this may be a good segue into doctrine isn't that the beauty of doctrine because people hear this word doctrine and they think oh it's some binding authoritarian Mm -hmm. you know you must believe this that's it but doctrine is just another word for teaching it isn't teaching isn't all life teaching isn't every Mm -hmm. failure and mistake we're never going to (laughs) have ways of 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 edifying and bettering ourselves and then you know we we can all think you know think back to our primary years of being a teenager probably for a lot of us along with you know other people a teacher is probably gonna if we were if you were to ask someone who are some influential people that shaped you someone's gonna bring up a teacher or someone can you bring up a college professor people like, Mm -hmm. like there's a value in receiving teaching right and so um i guess like um into do- why is doctrine important? I know it's maybe a big question, but why? No, it's why a is doctrine. It's important? a huge question. I mean, I it think is a huge question. I'm sorry, but it is. I mean, look, I think you know, on one level, like I think that saying true things about God matters, right? Like, I I don't think that our 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 sort of doctrinal inheritance is is simply oh, I I don't know, you know, this sort of a way of putting into words these these sort of ineffable human experiences, uh, you know, sort of religious experience throughout time, or you know, these sort of things that you'll that you'll hear sometimes. That, um, you know, I, I think that that if I mean, in the same way that if you have a, a relationship with with anyone, you want to sort of know and both both knowing true things about them is is necessary for that relationship. And right. like, if you're in relationship with somebody, like, you want to know who they really are, right? Like, I, I think at, at at that level yeah like it it matters that we're saying true things and not false things about about god and you know and two i mean i think this language and i've heard it all this time too though you know well we, we want the questions rather than the answers whatever i mean i you know like i said to some extent i get it um but i think to to have that as your your sort of final and ultimate posture towards the things of god like i I think that more often than not, the sort of people that can have that position are people who are like pretty happy, pretty healthy, whose lives are going pretty well okay. And all of this religion stuff can just be like a fun thing to get to think about um, as the cherry on top of an existence that is like already rewarding. But if you're, you know, if your back is up against the wall in in any sort of way, you know, sort of socially, economically, health-wise, mental health wise, whatever you want to say, like it actually matters. Yeah. <laughs> what about this is or isn't true, right? Like I I think I talk about this in the piece. If not, I'm, I can talk about it now. You know, I am um, so I deal with anxiety and, and depression. Um, you know, part of my life has been for a long time, probably will be um, you know, while I'm I'm in this body. And so the question of like, does God love me? Am I lovable? You know, that's not just that's a not question. Just a, like, you want an answer to that, yeah? Oh, fun! Like, <laughs> I wonder what this is true. Like, I want to know. I need to know in these moments where you know I am am pretty convinced that I am not lovable. I'm worthless. I'm whatever. That I have a good and gracious savior, and you know, the only way you get them, I mean, that's that's doctrine. And, and where do you go to? Like, when you have these questions, when you're having anxiety about, am I lovable? Where do you go to to find that indeed you are lovable? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's it's scripture, um, first and foremost. And then I think, and then I, and this sort of comes through in the piece, you know, I think particularly on that question of, well, justification is the sort of technical theological term of sort of what determines my standing before God. Um, you know, I think scripture is interpreted, I think, rightly um, by by the Protestant re reformers, um, Luther perhaps especially, but, but not only, um, has just been such a balm to my soul um, over and over again. Can you, can you elaborate on how has Luther been a balm to your soul? Yeah, I think, you know, Luther um, is somebody who was no stranger to to doubts, to struggles, to despair, to, to unfactungen, if you want to use the, the fancy German word for it, or I mean, sounds fancy in English, it's just a German word that means means struggles. Um, and I mean, his his whole life, um, for, you know, as, as a young man, as a monk, was really wrestling with this question of, of how, how do I find a gracious God? How can I know that I'm accepted, that I'm loved by God? And and, and he found that the, the answers that were being being provided to him um, were not satisfying. Um, that that you know he he was worried that there were never enough sins to you know that he could never confess all his sins and could absolve for them. That he could he could never do enough good works to make sure that that he had um, you know. And I don't want to sort of caricature um, late medieval Catholic religion here. I mean, I mean sort of it, grace is all the way through, but it's it's a grace that you need to to show that you have by 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 sort of working it out in in good works as, as sort of God's power is, is infused into you. That's, that's sort of the idea. And, um, and he finally, you know, went back over and over again to scripture and was like, no, it's not actually about who I am or what I do, not even about what I'm doing with God's help in me. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus being the, the perfect an all-sufficient sacrifice for my sin, Jesus doing what what I could not do for myself, and and then God choosing out of His His love for us to to join us to Christ, so that that when we you know when we when He looks at us, He sees not us but but Christ. There's this this language that Luther likes to use that I also love of the um the, the joyous exchange or the happy exchange where where Christ takes all of our junk, all of our our sin, um, death all the ways that we constantly mess up, fail to measure up, takes that from self, nails it to the cross, and then gives us his eternal and unshakable life and his his perfect righteousness. And then sorry, got a little got a little homiletic there, yeah. but I think this this basic idea that like where we look for acceptance from God is not within, but without at Jesus and what he has done for us. Right. That's just that's made all the difference for me. That our worth comes from something we don't do, from, but from something completely outside ourselves. Yeah. Hi, this is Drew. Uh, I want to give a big thanks to you, our listeners, for giving your time to listen to Dolph protest too much. This podcast is approaching three years now, three years old, and I've been just really blessed with great guests who have come on. Uh, I've been blessed with our co-hosts, James, Stephen, and Charlie for giving their time to really make this show a team effort and just adding so much to it. I think I can speak for our listeners um, who have really enjoyed your presence on the show. And I prayerfully and excitingly look forward to more years of Doth Protest Too Much as we will continue to appreciate the Reformation and the theology and history of the church. And I want to tell you about a couple other podcasts that I highly recommend. 
they don't know we're giving them shout outs. But if you enjoy the content of this show, you will love, if you haven't already, the podcast called Queen of the Sciences. Uh, Queen of the Sciences, and the subtitle of that is Conversations Between a Theologian and Her Dad. Well, who is the theologian and who is the dad? Well, Sarah Hinlicky Wilson and her dad, who is definitely also a theologian, Dr. Paul R. Hinlicky. Paul Hinlicky is a Luther scholar, a theologian, and also my supervisor in my doctoral program. If you are interested in what theologians have had to say about the COVID lockdown of 2020, books of the Bible, Martin Luther, and Martin Luther King Jr., the vastness of outer space, and the likelihood of meeting aliens, why N.T. Wright is right and wrong, uh, cybertech, and some of Canterbury, critical social theory, that was my favorite episode, by the way. Well, Paul and Sarah do episodes on all those subjects and more. And also, if you like listening to me, and it's okay if you don't, we got others here on Doth Protest who are probably more fun to listen to. Uh, well, okay, maybe you listen like listening to Stephen, who has been on this show. Well, do we have a show for you? That's right. Stephen and I and our friend Michael are starting a podcast where once a month we come on and chat about movies that we like. Yeah, not heavy theological stuff, but lighthearted chats, and I'm sure some heavy, heavy discussions too, uh, though none of us are serious film critics. But we just come on and we talk about movies that we like. The podcast is called Film Gumbo. That's right. The second word is The Stew from Louisiana. Our first episode is out now. It's We get on and we discussed uh, The Lost City of Z, Inglorious Bastards, and The Revenant. And we just had fun with it. And we look forward to next month when we do our next episode. So check out our new podcast, Film Gumbo, currently on Spotify, but will be on more platforms uh, soon. And as well as Paul Hinlicky and Sarah Hinlicky Wilson's podcast, Queen of the Sciences. You can search for that wherever you stream your podcasts. And of course, we'll continue to enjoy you tuning in to Dolph Protest too much. Thanks. Exactly. Hey, I remember exactly. there was someone, um, I think it was like a, Something I read was, was something along the lines of like, you know, most modern people today, and of course we're living in, you know, in, in very parts of the world that we're, we're in, you know, we're living in a very mm-hmm. post-Christian secularized, you know. That's right. Um, people don't, modern people don't walk around worrying every day whether they're going to go to heaven or hell. So that kind That's of right. anxiety over their salvation or something is just not mm-hmm. even radar. Mm-hmm. However, it is the case, I would contend, that people walk around with feelings of, well, anxiety is very common now. That's right. But that's related to people's sense of adequacy, people's self-esteem. Yep. Um, people have people are, are very much, in other ways, wrecked with guilt. Um, there, there's a feeling of, I'm not enough, very common among yes. people. Everyone wants to be accepted in a way. Um, mm-hmm. so then that ties back to like one's value and worth, right? And yep, and um, the beauty of the gospel message, which I think is this liberating and it's universal, is that um, whatever your circumstance, and this this isn't Luther, this goes back, this is Luther, but it goes back to Paul when Paul was on an uphill battle and the other apostles bringing the message of Jesus to other people, these, these people in all these parts of the world, the Gentile world and the Jewish world who had their worth and value tied to either their obedience to the law or their, their, their place in an honor, shame culture. 
mm-hmm. their value and worth were based on what they did. Yep. Um, but Paul's radical message is actually it's based on something that has um, been done for you from outside of anything. That's right. You could have done. That's right. Done, and that's there's just a beauty in that. In that, and um, what a, and that's a doctrine. That's a teaching. Yeah. That's right. Anytime we get into explaining any, I mean, someone who's like, I'm, I'm against doctrine. Doctrines are just like these static, you know, dusty old words that don't mean anything. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, you kind of just, you know, are, you kind of just like made your own doctrine there because you made this doctrine that's, you know, are we getting into <laughs> the logic of, or the illogic? I guess. No, sure. That's right. But um, yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. Um. Yeah. I want to dive more into to your article. You you do spend a lot of time, I mean, as indeed, as it's titled, what the Reformation teaches us about the pastoral nature of doctrine. You, you know, you got into a little bit of it already, like doctrine and being pastoral went hand in hand. They were in separate to even think that there was something at being doc, being doctrinal versus being pastoral was that dichotomy would not have even occurred in the mind of Luther mm-hmm. and the other 16th century reformers right. like Thomas Cranmer. Um, uh, you, you say um, that, uh, oh, where was I going to find it? I just, I might edit this part too, because I misplaced what I had written down. Um, uh, okay, I'll just go right here. Um, you say the marriage of doctrine and consolation in the teaching of salvation by divine agency by divine agency alone is particularly characteristic of Luther's writing and teaching. He takes pains over and over again to emphasize that the personal appropriations of the truths of Christianity is essential to faith, is in fact the content of faith. It is not enough to believe that Christ died to be a savior. You must believe that Christ died to be your savior that everything Christ did and does is for you. So these doctrines speak directly to our personal situation. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I think to, to kind of set this up, right, I, I think, so we, we talked about the one danger of sort of theology by vibes, you know, doctrine is bad. Um, we're, we're just sort of, um, you know, we're, we're going to kind of poo-poo that um, and, and sort of say, no, no, it's, it's all about, you know, feeling or experience or what have you, you know, the flip side, um, which is frankly the, the kind of thing that like somebody like me um, runs more the risk of is being like, well, no, you know, doctrine's great. Like only, you know, it's, it's, you don't care about the pastoral implications, right. That, that sort of preserves this kind of juxtaposition between doctrine and, and, and kind of consolidation or pastoral care that says, no, like we've got to say doctrine is good. And like, you know, who cares about the pastoral stuff? In fact, it becomes like a marker of being, you know, really orthodox that you're willing to like offend right. with the most sort of hostile construal of, of Christian doctrine as right. you as you can. And um, and I think what what Luther shows us, um, what I mean, frankly, what just about anybody before modernity shows us, but I, I think Luther is an especially good example of this: is that you know, as soon as you've set those up in opposition to each other you're in trouble um, yeah. because what a true Christian teaching does. And I mean, this is, I mean, scripture tells us this, right. That it's, 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 it's for exhortation. It's to build us up into the image of Christ, that this is, this is what the teaching about who Jesus is and what he's done for us is, is for that. It, it has to be 
pastoral and, and on the flip side, that sort of pastoral care has to be doctrinal. It, it, it includes these judgments uh, or beliefs um, implicitly or explicitly about who God is, who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, what Luther shows us there, um, yeah, he's got this, this beautiful line um, that I, that I quote in a piece of his, his Christmas sermon um, from, from 1530, where he says, you know, the, the chief article which separates us from all the heathen is that you, O oh man, may not only learn that Christ born of the Virgin is the Lord and Savior, but also accept the fact that he is your Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. So if teaching doctrine is important, and I think it is, it's important insofar as it like leads people to believe that the good news about Jesus is true for them. Yeah. And doctrine, I mean, doctrines are, I mean, again, teachings, like we said already a few times, but doc, doctrine, doctrine is content and the content is stuff that directly pertains to um, our life of faith, I think is what you That's mean. right. No, uh, I think that's exactly right. And I mean, you know, look, I, I think there's, absolutely a place for these sort of very very kind of technical abstract uh, discussions I, I i love this kind of stuff i'm a phd student after all you know when it comes to to theology but at the end of the day what we're doing if it's if it's to be worthwhile i think um you know has to be rooted in helping ourselves and each other know and love god better and that's that's ineluctably right. personal and you know um i do think so i do kind of back it up a little bit um I was reading it, you know, your, your blog, I think there are like, there are instances where I could see, um, you know, people who, when they form in their mind, okay, are we going to go with doctrine or are we going to go with being pastoral? We, as much as I think that juxtaposition or that dichotomy is unhelpful, you know, I'm thinking of examples in my own ministry, like, um, of where I've had to kind of, you know, I've, had to kind of i guess i don't know how to say this be more pastoral and for instance um like in a, in a recent funeral mm-hmm. that i did we did we did not use any of the readings the prayer book the options the prayer book gives mm-hmm. um because there were there were passages that the family held or, or the the mm-hmm. deceased held near and dear and they involved an epistle and they involved in a cop of, of gospel reading yeah they're one i mean one was matthew 11 28 and we just you did a few verses from 11 um uh, come to me you know all who are wearing heavy mm. and i was like uh, you know and it went you know funeral went beautifully it was just those are such mm. we're so glad we went with those passages mm-hmm. we didn't use like what the rubrics say not that you know sure but like but again also there's i don't know the page number but there's you know there's a page um it's kind of like a a right three funeral i guess there's a page of- <laughs> yeah yeah if, yeah if the uh previous rights do not you know work out exactly for your situation your pastoral situation right you can use you can you know here's the basic outline of what to do have some scripture reading. so i could fall back on that and say well i went with that you know and i yeah. guess we're i don't know am i even talking doctor am i talking like prayer book rubrics i don't know you could you could argue they're very much tied together <laughs> <laughs> excuse me um but you know um like for that, you know, I went pastorally, um, but like, um, uh, for instance, um, when it, it, this is kind of relates to, you alluded to the, um, the big controversy in the, in, well, in the Episcopal church, there's been a big movement to have communion for the unbaptized, um, which I'm totally against doing that. 
But pastorally, I have given communion to people in the catechal process of of with a set date of when of when they're going to mm. be baptized. Mm-hmm. Once that has been established, I've communed them uh, because yeah. I think that's uh, in, in my mind. I find that pastoral. And if someone is listening and wants to report me, go ahead. But there's been plenty of bishops and priests. <laughs> The Episcopal Church that have freely talked about how we need to commune everyone. So whatever. Uh, but, but, you know, that those are instances, I guess, in my own ministry of like, well, you know, this is where I've, I guess I've maybe gone pastoral over like what official doctrine or maybe, mm. but I don't know what, what would you say to that? And on the flip side, um, I can also see how doctrines can be, uh, you say how, in extreme cases, um, okay, uh, you said there's extreme cases where uh, where certain articulations of, like, doctrines have been unhelpful, right? And I'm thinking, for instance, mm-hmm. like, a lot, what, sometimes with substitutionary atonement, the yeah. way it's articulated is not helpful. Right. Um, that has led to its critics, Um I don't agree with them, but I can see where they're coming mm-hmm. from. Seeing it as divine child abuse that God the Father, uh, right? Uh, no, exactly. Or like low anthropology, which I'm. I mean, people say, well, if we just have such a low view of ourselves that we're just miserable sinners and that's nothing else, um, how that's unhelpful because it gives us a, a bad, you know, view of ourselves. I'm like, well, I. But for me, it's like, well, to me, that's that's instances of guess the doctrine not being properly articulated because right it's not the end of the story that you're just a miserable person you're actually like redeemed in christ and you're that's right so i don't know what what do you say to all that so yeah no i mean a lot to reflect on there and i mean i you know i'll, I'll say i don't i don't know if i'd like quite come down the way you would on on sort of the the kind of communion question although like yeah. i could sort of totally understand the logic of of doing what you do right. i mean i broadly on this question i mean i'm, I'm gonna go back to luther again um because i was i was actually just reading this for my um <laughs> for the exams that i'm going to be doing in a couple months so so luther right spends spends a little while um in hiding um at the, at the Wartburg castle and then while he is doing that um in, in wittenberg the sort of town in germany where he is um some of his um, fellow reformers um to start uh, continuing to reform the church and, and start doing so in, in some pretty like extreme ways where they're 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 sort of starting to to tear down images um, they're making a lot of adjustments to the to the communion service um you know they're saying you absolutely have to receive in in both kinds you can't just receive the bread like you're accustomed to and luther comes back and, and preaches the set of sermons um and and I think one of the points that he makes, which which I think it's not exactly the same situation, but I think it applies here too. He's like, look, like, don't move so fast or so strongly that you're going to sort of lose your people, that you're going to bruise these these tender consciences. That mm. you know, it's, it's it's actually more important that people feel um, that they really can receive both the bread and the wine and communion, for example, than that like you force them to do something that they're very nervous about and, and and think might be wrong and might actually sort of make their 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 faith, their relationship with God more more difficult. And so yeah, I mean I think with a lot of this stuff, you know, I mean it, yeah, like if you I mean hypothetical example, but you know, if you're if you're sort of counseling somebody who's um 
who's just lost a loved one and, and they say, you know, oh, heaven's gained another angel. Like that's not the moment necessarily sort of sit down and say, you know, well, well, actually, you know, are scripturally speaking, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. And, you know, that, that's sort of a not right. a good view to have of, uh, of of what happens to Christians after they die. And, and there's, right. you know, a place um, to to sort of in the long haul with people to sort of work to, to move them to a a fuller and, and, and more accurate account of, of what we believe. But, but no, I mean, I, I certainly think, you know, the, the point of emphasizing the importance of, of true teaching about Jesus is not to sort of come into all your relationships with people, you know, trying to tick out whether or not they're, they're saying this right or wrong and, and being mm -hmm. sure you, you immediately correct them if, if there's something that's, that's not right. quite right. Or being pedantic. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Like that's, well, like that's, I, I really, that's not I, actually you gosh, you were, what were you, Oh, you were saying, uh, yeah, I've heard it a couple of times in, in eulogies that before the delivery of my sermon at a funeral, like mm -hmm. heaven's gained another angel. And yeah, I've never thought to even like shame someone for like, right. Right. you know, like, it's, just, it's, it's, theology not the place. Like, it's not the place. Yeah. And it's also like when you were saying with the, uh, what was the second example you gave? of uh that was the one i think that was was yeah. another one there was another example you you gave of um of oh and oh no i was oh thinking, with communion with luther and communion no, no, I, and, I was thinking of um when you know i remember a lot of this is something uh, we're on the topic of funerals there's a lot of clergy colleagues i'll have to say like like don't uh, passed away like people always say passed away like just say death to say died and like for me for me it's like yeah i get like you know our our culture sanitized and we're not comfortable talking mm -hmm. about that. i get that but also like i'm not going to jump on someone when they right yeah and and like in a way you could say yeah they did but they're not truly dead they're alive in christ and so right pass on to the next life so you know yeah no no exactly <laughs> well, and, right i mean it's just such a like yes like sure does our culture sanitize death absolutely is that right. a problem yes you know the, the way to do the best place to deal with that is like the in and out of preaching and caring with people over the long haul not deciding <clears> that your our sermon is going to be your chance to like single-handedly reverse um right you know, <clears throat> single -handed. all of this sort of cultural messaging that they've that they've been getting for their whole life instead it's just going to kind of bump people out probably and and take away some of the the consolation that that a christian funeral should be providing people so while we're talking about the, kind of the state of uh you know the state in a lot of the mainline and, and for i guess i didn't define mainline i mean a lot of our listeners know but when i say mainline protestant i'm not talking about mainstream because <laughs> mainstream right. protestant at least for you know uh for for a while now has been like uh kind of the, the evangelical non-denominational world at least in north america mainline protestant of course first to the historically mainstream protestant church it's like the episcopal lutheran methodist presbyterian um and um so the state in a lot of the old mainline churches is might be an aversion to engaging with scripture and doctrine to the level that other churches may. But another aversion I've noticed, um, and I couldn't help when I, when I was reading a quote earlier um, about the importance of our belief in Christ uh, as a savior, as our savior and as our only savior. There's I've noticed mm -hmm. kind of, um, and you didn't speak really to this in your article, but that there's kind of uh people are 
in the main line, there's this um, uncomfortability. And again, this isn't even like speaking for really the laity. This is speaking for like what, some of our leadership and like the clergy. Mm-hmm. Right? There's this um, uncomfort and something you'd see on Episcopal Church memes Facebook page. There's this <laughs> uncomfortability with the, per, there's this discomfort. That's the right word with the particularity of Christ um, mm-hmm. that um, um, if it, that, you know, it's, it's almost like um, that, you know, well, I'm a Christian Christian cause, cause Christ is works for me, but it may not work for you. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. That's exactly that, right. That type of thing. Um, I saw, I, I did see another thing. On, I don't mean to keep bringing up like memes online, but these are things <laughs> that are going around. But like sure. it's something along like Jesus was not a Christian, Muhammad was right. not a Muslim, a Muslim, yeah, yeah was yeah, not yeah. a Buddhist. Their religion was love, and that's what we just need <laughs> to do love. Why is that? Um, why is why is it that unhelpful? And why? I mean, and as I would argue, why would we actually by actually being more doctrinally precise about who we are as Christians, we would actually really find love? I mean, why would you know, can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, well, to, to speak specifically to that, that sort of last meme, right? I think, <laughs> I think it's not actually obvious what love is, or, or rather, if we think it is, a lot of us sort of here in, in kind of North America and in 2023, it's because we are like, living still on the on the fumes of like, a couple thousand years of maybe a couple thousand, 1500, 1600 years of, of Christendom that have like made sort of some actually like very particularly Christian insights about, about what love means just seem like natural and obvious to everyone when they're, when they're not. And I mean, something I've been actually had a conversation about this with someone else today, you know, something that I think where we're, we're kind of seeing the particularity of what, of what Christians have in mind when they talk about love um, in a way that is maybe, rushing against um, certain elements of, of a kind of secularizing culture actually has to do with about like forgiveness and, and enemy love where, where I've something that I've really been noticing the last couple of years is that a lot of, of folks um, both on the left and the right I, I don't think it's it's sort of yeah I think I think I see this in different ways but see this sort of across the political spectrum where this this idea that you're supposed to forgive is like actually sort of seen as as a problem as something that's right. that's only used to oppress or that's the the kind of evidence of some kind of slave morality that that doesn't have what it what it takes to to win or be strong or whatever and and that's a place where like yeah we we can't actually just say no just like just love you know do what seems loving because because there's actually some real disagreement about about what mm-hmm. what it is to to love well, um, and I think just, yeah, I mean, more broadly, I mean, look, I think, I think this position is really, it's, it's incompatible with scripture. Um, it also, I think, ends up, um, ironically, given that it is, um, intended to be this kind of welcoming, inclusive, you know, whatever sort of, sort of move, you know, ends up, like, if you want to talk about sort of good relationships to to members of non-christian religions like telling them oh yeah you basically believe the same thing that we do and like none of the and and the content of that like is just this kind of like vaguely defined love like 
my Muslim friends don't want to hear that, right? That that's not well, what they think about about their religion. Well, that's the truth of the um, matter. Like, try telling most Muslims that Muhammad was not a Muslim; they would totally disagree with you because they would absolutely like a Muslim is someone who submitted to God, and Muhammad submitted to God. Like, you are insulting no, exactly. my faith. Um, that's and, right. I mean, we get is Jesus a Christian? No, but his followers were, and we go in the right. New Testament. There's, there's, there's the mention. There's the first mention in the Book of Acts about that's right. Christians. It's just the word it means. No, followers. that's right. So, and and really in that whole, that whole, the whole idea that, well, so and so was not that, so and so was not this. They were just all about love. That that is kind of a doctrine in itself. It's like an unspoken. It absolutely you know, is a doctrine that doesn't present itself as a doctrine, but it's, I mean, it's so much of these kind of um, platitudes we hear and just the, the things in the air right now, there's so much doctrine out there because there, there's, there's, there's people that want you to get on board with seeing things a certain way. And yep. that's, it's a teaching. It's like, they want to teach you to, to, to see things this, uh, this certain way. And that to me is mm -hmm. a doctrine, you know? No, exactly. I mean, something that I think is, is helpful sometimes that I've, I've, you know, so that I've sort of responded back with, with people sometimes when I've raised this is like, people often want other people to share their politics, for example, even though like, <laughs> you know, the sort of political judgments are, are complicated and, and, and prudential and, and aren't, you know, sort of subject to, to the sort of external verification in the way that we like, like to think that, that, I don't know, scientific truths are, for example, I mean, that's, that's a whole other complicated thing that we don't need to get into but like most people like don't actually right like don't think that it's just like it's a matter of it, it doesn't matter what 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 other people believe about you know what would be good for the for the country for example and often you know people are are pretty willing to go try to convince other people that like the particular vision they have of of what our country should look like what our world should look like you know whatever like should be right should be true and i right i think that this actually isn't so terribly different that like we have found a truth here that we are excited about that has changed our life presumably that's that's why we go to church like why wouldn't we we share it with other people um you know i actually i had a sort of uh, a moment of conviction on this back when i was an undergrad um so i was was kind of a, a student radical in my in my undergraduate days. Was very involved with the labor movement on campus, especially, and mm -hmm. and I spent hours and hours and hours, um, you know, come election season, knocking on doors, you know, talking to people about about this vision for the city that I thought they should sign up for, that I thought was important, and I had this moment of like, huh, like. I am so happy and have no problem like being really brave and bold to talk to people about this. I say that like Jesus and being a Christian is the most important thing about my life. Like, why don't I do it about Jesus too? And, and look, I'm not saying that like, that means that you have to go knock on doors for Jesus. So that's the way that you have to do it. But yeah, I just, I, I don't really see if you're following Jesus and really think that like, yeah, like Jesus is fine. Like I fine for me, but maybe not for you. Like I just, I, I don't actually think that's like a position that makes sense at the end it, of the day. It does. I, guess. I think people with, with serious reflection, um, 
someone who's really been changed and impacted by Jesus with serious reflection and engagement with scripture and going to, you know, how Jesus is presented in scripture and the words from him. I mean, it is an ultimate, it was, it is an all or nothing type thing. I mean, there's a particularity to who he is and only him. And so Mm -hmm. that would, um, it would, you know, and, and then that, so, the the that the content there of who he is and what and I think there was a quote on from your article about um you know Luther even writes uh therefore you should grasp Christ his word words works and sufferings in a um in a twofold manner first as an example that is presented to you which you should follow and imitate however this is the smallest part of the gospel on the basis of which it cannot yet even be called gospel. For on this level, Christ is of no more help to you than any other saint. His life remains his own and does not as yet contribute anything to you. In short, this mode does not make Christians, but only hypocrites. You must grasp Christ at a much higher level. Even though this higher level has for a long time been the very best, the preaching of it has been something rare. The chief article and foundation of the gospel is that before you take Christ as an example, you accept and recognize him as a gift as a present that God has given you, that is your own. And of course, that's the heart of Luther's whole message of just I love it. It's so good. Yeah. And it's um that before I get into it, that's kind of a segue into something I could get into in a moment, but it, it's also like that's the content. Like you need to, I mean, it the whole yeah, the whole idea of like G- Jesus is, you know, good for me, but Muhammad might be good for others, whatever. We're not trying to trash other religions, but as Christians, we must be honest about um who we are centered on and and that's right the content of the christ proclamation is exactly what i read that's kind of a yeah. i kind of like how luther luther was like you know christ is an example but that's very secondary um, <laughs> that's right because you know, because martin luther king jr is an example dorothy days that's example. right um you know you whoever is an example of well and that's, that's charitable thing, right? loving but it's like why yeah. is this qualitatively different right than these other good people um is christianity a message of more of morality or is the mm-hmm. is it about something else i don't know no, i think that's exactly right i mean and i think i think really oh, what's at the bottom behind a lot of this like jesus for me muhammad for you whatever thing is exactly a view of religion that that is exactly what luther thinks is the wrong one that like well we've got all of these set of examples that are like all teaching us how to be good people, good moral people, which typically cashes out to like being moderate to progressive Democrats. I mean, in sort of most mainline preaching context, you know, like I, in the modern day that yeah, I've heard well, of. That's what yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and you know, even deeper than I think you put this very well than the mistake of assuming that these people like all agree on what it is to be a good person is the question of like what is Christianity actually about is it just another species of moralism or is it about like God come to us to set us free and and I think that's why you really have to say you know yes like of, of course you know there is there is a place for the for the law in Christian preaching there is a place for talking about good works in Christian preaching um you know the the sort of good works are an important part of the Christian life, but the center, as you say, is gotta be Christ as gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And that's what transformed me. You know, I, I kind of went into seminary as, um, as kind of a liberal Anglo Catholic. Um, mm. And then uh, I came across for a church history. And I've said this on the podcast before on a church history assignment, we had to read a primary work from some, we were in like the Renaissance slash Reformation period. And uh, I think my, yeah, my first year seminary and I read uh, Luther's writing uh, his commentary on Galatians. Um, mm. And mm-hmm. that just forever uh, that, that totally just, it's like I became part of a whole different religion, this religion of Christ, mm. Christ's gift. Mm. And oh my gosh, that was life changing. And um, it has been so, I mean, just fruitful in everything. I, I mean, the way I preach, the way I teach, the way I relate, what I believe mm-hmm. to others. Um, and, it, it, and it's pastorally, pastoral, because you, yeah. when people come to you, like you said, just against the wall, nowhere to turn uh Mm -hmm. in despair going through suffering um they don't need to hear about what they need to do to get right with god that's right Um, or you know that because for i mean as they teach and as as any you know pastor i mean you're not there to fix the problem you're there to point them to their hope in christ that's right and that that's right um what have you what has what you have been deemed as through christ is um cannot be taken away from you no matter what you are going through Mm -hmm. uh you know and so you know that's it's been christ's gift is the heart of christianity yeah (laughs) amen amen yeah Yeah, absolutely so uh well we've had a great conversation here i know we we maybe digressed quite a bit. I don't know. I, my original intention was to kind of work through the whole article. And I, I did print it out here. I had it with some notes written on it. And, uh, but I encourage our listeners, I'll put a show note to not only to that article, but to uh, Ben's Substack where um, he writes uh, a lot of really just thought provoking um, as uh, just helpful and I think constructive commentary on this state of the church the state of the oh, world well, thank you brings in uh you brings in other people occasionally on there to have mm-hmm. conversations with um and i it's I, I will definitely recommend our listeners to check out your work uh on that and um yeah and of course we gave us a chance to dive into L- lutheran reformational thinking and how that um it's so helpful, I think, uh, for, for us to, to, it's what we do in this podcast. So, uh, Do you mind if, before we close, can I, can I read a bit of Article 20 of the Augsburg Confession? Because I think it, it really sums up what we've been talking about. Yes, go ahead. <clears throat> so there was very great need to treat of and renew this doctrine of faith and Christ to the end that anxious consciences should not be without consolation, but that they might know that grace and forgiveness of sins and justification are apprehended by by faith in Christ. So here in this this sort of Lutheran confessional document, there's this, I think really puts very well all of what we've been saying, that the the reason that getting doctrine right matters, it's not just for its own sake, but it's also that ancient anxious consciences should not be without consolation. Mm-hmm. I know that's a consolation that I need all the time and that yeah. I find 
in the gospel of Christ as gift. Yes. Amen to that. Well, listeners, thanks for tuning in again. And um, God bless you all. And we look forward to uh, our next episode and to have you all back listening to us. Thank you, for, Ben, for being on the Doth Protest Too Much. And My we'll pleasure. Catch, yes. And we'll catch you all later.